So we are in our fourth week of our Go to Grow series, as V said a couple of minutes ago. And what have we been talking about this whole time? We've been talking about uh, asking the question, stepping back away from our mission. It's good to step back away from your mission and what you're doing here and ask the question every great once in a while. What are we doing here? This is something good to practice at home with your family. If you don't have a vision for your family, then your family will just be like disorganized and organized chaos ebbing and flowing. But if you've got a vision for your family, like I want to raise my family to follow Jesus, then you will make strategic decisions to help your family grow as a follower of Jesus, right? It's the same way with the church. So we step back every once in a while and take a look at the vision. Why does God have us out here in South Naperville? Why are we meeting at a school? Why are we meeting in small groups? Why are we small and then expecting God to grow us? We're kind of diving into those reasons based on the idea that Jesus taught us to be fishers of people. We talked about in the very first week of the series how people of peace are positioned in our lives. And these are people who not only know us and like us, but people who we like to hang out with and they like to hang out with us. People who would be open to the idea of sharing our life in Christ. So that if we were to share our life in Christ with a person of peace, they wouldn't do what? They wouldn't turn and run, right? They'd stick around. They would stay and be a part of that life. And we also talked about the vision that God's placed in front of us for a new worship space. We are a site of Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, who's planting in South Naperville. We have the opportunity in South Naperville to move into a new worship space as we grow. And as God positions us for this opportunity, what he's calling us to do is to grow to about 120 by this time next year. Now, that includes all of us as adults and all of our kids out on Kid Street together. And then the question becomes, how would God have us do that? How would he have us to grow numerically? Because the most important parts of the church are not just the numbers. The most important part of the church is what happens on the inside of you, where you become a true disciple of Jesus. And then that change that happens inside you manifests itself in new behaviors, what you might call Jesus behaviors or the values that Jesus puts out there. Things like serving, teaching, leading, helping each other be accountable, sharing your life in Jesus, generosity. Those are some of the Jesus behaviors that we are copying as we look, live, and love more like Jesus. But then the question always becomes, as we're changing and as we're growing, what are the mountains that life is placed between us and our objective of growing to be more like Jesus. Uh, last two or three weeks, we've been talking about how to invite someone into a spiritual conversation. That was a couple of weeks ago. Cues to listen to. When you get into one conversation where you hear some things that, that cue you up to share Jesus with them or your life in Jesus, things like, my life is not going well or I didn't expect that to happen, or I'm not from around here. When you hear those types of cues, it opens up the opportunity to share something of yourself spiritually. And then last week, we talked about the idea of inviting into small group. We believe in small group discipleship here, where the best way to grow as a follower of Jesus is in a smaller group of believers, even smaller yet than this, a group of maybe four or five or even six believers we talked about the value of that and how to invite someone to be an observer of your small group. 
In fact, we're entering into the red letter challenge. If you take a look at the table in the back, the connect table, the red letter challenge is beginning the first week of October. This is for people who are following Jesus and want to take the next steps in their faith following him. For some people in our lives, we know people who are not following Jesus yet. Can we invite them to be in small group life with us? Absolutely. We can invite them to be an observer. So we talked about that last week. If you'd like to look back at those messages, you can always check the podcast or look for the email blast for actual video messages like we're doing now. But for this week in particular, we're asking the question, what's the mountain in my life as I am being asked to serve as a part of the church? And what's the mountain in my life as I am asking other people to serve with me? So we have the opportunity at South Naperville to do a lot of cool stuff. Now ask any of those people who are volunteering at South Naperville already, what do you do on a given weekend at South Naperville? You might get back three or four different, strangely different answers. One might be, I put the water and the snacks out. I greet people if someone needs help. I serve on the praise team. And then once a month, I serve on Kid Street. You might hear three or four very different jobs. And why is that? Because we're a brand new worship site and it's literally all hands on deck. The cool part about that, and the reason I believe in church planting so much, and this has got to be my like eighth or ninth church plant in my career. The reason I believe in this so much is because you never get the opportunity to see your faith explode as much as when you are serving on Jump Street on the very ground up in a brand new ministry. You may find yourself sweeping the floor, teaching, uh, cleaning up, setting up, tearing down, leading children, arranging chairs, setting up communion, things like that on any given weekend. And as you're doing those things, it gives you the opportunity to share with other people that you serve with the life you have in Jesus. As we work and as we serve, The life we have in Jesus naturally has an opportunity to flow out, and that helps us to grow. So the question we're asking this morning is, what's the mountain between us and a life serving in the church and a life inviting other people to serve with us? If you are currently serving at South Naperville, thank you for serving. If you're not yet serving, and I'm going to say that again, if you're not yet serving, One day you will be. And what you serve in will be something that you're uniquely gifted in. Something you're uniquely gifted to do that when you do that work in the name of God, what happens to your faith? Miraculously and supernaturally, your faith grows. When you serve in the church in the name of Jesus, when you serve through the church in the name of Jesus, doing something you're good at, It makes you have more energy, and it fuels and fires up your faith. It gives you more faith. And in fact, as you explore that and understand that and live in that life of serving, it also gives you the opportunity to invite somebody else who, like you, doesn't perhaps have the opportunity to serve in front of them and is willing to explore that with you as a person of peace. So what is the mountain that stands between us and serving? And what is the mountain that stands between us and sharing that life of servanthood in Jesus with other people? Now, if I say one, two, three, and you shout out the very first thing that comes to your mind that would keep you from serving 
doing something with your faith in Jesus, I bet there's going to be some interesting responses. Let's try it. Ready? One, two, three. Baby. Baby. <laughs> I love that. Can you say that again, Angus? One, two, three. Baby. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so we have kids, and we have jobs, and we have responsibilities, and we have sports, and we have band, and we have flags, and we have Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, and we have our yard, which has fallen apart, and we have our house to fix and all kinds of other stuff. How do we fit this in? It's the same way you fit anything else that's important in your life in. You prioritize it by choice. How do you fit breakfast, lunch, and dinner in? You choose to have them, right? Sometimes we have to choose no to say no to certain things in order to say yes to other things, right? And so what we're entering into is the idea of servanthood as a discipline, servanthood as a strategic part of our life that we choose. And where that comes from is um, an idea that God puts in front of us that we were created to serve him. But when you think about servanthood, when you think about serving someone else, how does that make you feel on the onset? How you feel could be the mountain between you and taking action in a certain area of service following Jesus. Did you know that serving and following Jesus is designed not only to benefit the kingdom of God, but also to benefit you, to grow you, to make you more alive? When Jesus said in John 10, 10, I come that they would have life to the abundant, life that is full. This is what he was talking about. He was talking about the idea that when we receive the good news of Jesus and trust in it, Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave. The question becomes, yeah, what about after that? After that is this. This is Jesus showing us how to live. And that living, that true life comes through serving him with our whole lives. I want to share a story with you from the scripture. If you've got your smartphone or iPad or your good old-fashioned paper Bible, I'd like for you to, to take a look with me at a story that you'll find in Mark chapter 10. And what this story does for us is it kind of tells us how Jesus has set up a servanthood as a way to live, not only benefiting the kingdom of God, but benefiting ourselves. And it's kind of a strange way that he puts it with these two guys that have been serving with him all along in the kingdom. Um, What I want to do is set the story up as you turn in, in your phone or in your Bible. Turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. Verse 35. And then scroll back up just a little bit as you're looking at the scripture. Starting in verse 32, Jesus is predicting his death. He's sharing with his most intimate small group, his disciples, what he's getting ready to do on the cross. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. This is verse 33. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, let me ask you a question. Did this really happen? Did it happen? How do you know? How do we know it wasn't just a fairy tale like a Disney story? How do we know it it really did happen? Does anybody know? What now? 
history records. So there were witnesses to these things, right? So Jesus lays out the plan for his death and resurrection, and then he does the whole thing publicly so that people who are there can actually witness his words coming true. This is the nature of God, right? This is the character of God. The way God works is this. God says stuff in advance, and then he carries it out. It might be days later. It might be weeks later. It might be years later. It might be um, hundreds and hundreds of years later. But that's the way God's character operates. God says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to do that thing, And then in the future, I'm going to look back and say, look at what I did. Why does he do that? He does that to show that he is credible, that he is trustworthy. Think about if you've got somebody in your life that you trust. When that person says something to you and then follows through and does it, that earns your trust, doesn't it? And you can go back to that person again and trust them again because they've got a track record, right? But here's Jesus with his most intimate friends, his small group, telling them in detail how he's going to die and what's going to happen to him. Now, in the moment, I'm not sure that they totally believed him yet. They probably didn't totally get that Jesus was actually going to let himself be killed and then rise miraculously from the grave. Look at what it is they say to him after he tells this prophecy. And this gets into the scripture for today, verse 35. Then James and John, two of his besties, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus, in red letters, says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about being the right-hand man and the left-hand man of Jesus When he comes into his glory and Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They answered confidently, we can. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by who? By God. Then the ten heard about this. They became indignant with James and John. Why would the ten become indignant with James and John? What were James and John doing in that conversation right after Jesus had just told them how he was going to die and rise again? Why would they become indignant? Because their brothers are trying to elevate themselves to a position of honor beside Jesus. And the rest of them are are sitting back and thinking, well, who are you guys? Why shouldn't it be one of the rest of us? Why are you trying to get good with Jesus above and over what we are doing with Jesus in our relationship? Why are you trying to get that for yourself? Jesus called them all together and then teaches this timeless teaching. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Do you know what lord it over somebody means? You ever had a boss that lorded your work over you? You ever had someone in charge of you who lorded their position over you? How does that make you feel? Like, a, like less than that person, right? Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a boss or someone who was over you uh, but didn't act like it? actually acted like they were under you 
there to lift you up, but their position was over you. Have you ever had that in your life before? I have. It's pretty amazing. Somebody who has the rank over you, but puts themselves under you emotionally, relationally, psychologically, lifts you up because they're not threatened by you. They want you to thrive. Think about that. If you've had that experience, you're blessed. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus says this, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be what? Slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, how did Jesus tie this into what he just told them in the previous paragraph about what he was getting ready to do? Because when he does what he's going to do, who is he serving? All of us. He's serving all of the people who ever been born and ever will be born across all time. So he's not only teaching them something that is a timeless value, he's backing it up with action. He's showing them how that is done. He's giving of himself so that they may do what? Not only be saved, not only be saved from the fire of hell, not only be saved from themselves and their sin, but saved into a brand new life, a life that is different than the life they had before him. Do you have a life that is materially different after Jesus than before Jesus? If you do, then you have a taste of what that means, that your life was meant to be more than it was before. And the way that blossoms and flourishes and grows is through servanthood. And so as Jesus is facepalming himself in front of two of his beloved disciples and rerouting their attitudes to understand that they must decrease so that he may increase, that they must lower themselves and serve so that Jesus can rise to the top. As he's teaching them this and modeling this for them, he's leading them into growth in the kingdom of God. And we've been talking for the last several weeks about entertaining, listening, and inviting. And what I want to share with you today is a couple of ideas about entertaining someone who you intend to invite to serve with you. And the reason we're going to do this is because we've been exploring inviting people to small group and into conversation. There is a certain type of person in your life who you will feel more drawn to invite to serve with you instead of into a spiritual conversation or into a small group meeting. And it's a person who may not be up for much spiritual conversation right now, but maybe after serving with you a couple of times, they might be. Now, let's ask again. If you've not found a place in the church to serve, then God has been preparing you to either create that place or to take on a place that already exists. Maybe it's time for you to explore serving. Maybe it's on Kid Street. Maybe it's on Setup and Teardown team. Maybe it's on the multimedia team in the back, which, by the way, we have two young people running our media. Three young people running our media. Tim, I got you, brother. I got you back. We have three young people 
running our media. Maybe your pension is to run electronic stuff, right? Maybe it's to set up and tear down. Maybe it's to work with communion. If you've not tried some of these things, try them. That's how we figure out our gifts. You try something. If it's fun and you like it and you grow from it and want more of it, it's there for you. Or if you've never tried something that doesn't exist and you have an idea about that, maybe it's serving in the community or helping do meal trains for people who are sick in our congregation, something like that. Try it. Step out and try it. And then be open to the idea that God is calling you in that area not only to serve by yourself, but to invite and bring along with you someone who would be good at what you're doing as well. And the reason we're taking this, this approach with serving is because there are certain people in our church who are not ready for spiritual conversation and perhaps not ready for small group. What we want to do is we want to engage these types of people, these people in our lives who might not be ready for conversation or small group, and we want to sit down with them and we want to invest some time in them, listen to them, carve out one whole hour, which this is going to take some work, for our schedules, right? Carve out an hour to sit down and just listen to them talk. Listen to them talk about their lives and who they are and what they're into. I'm gonna to suggest today as a little bit of a curveball that this is especially challenging and difficult for men. So we're gonna talk particularly today about men in the church and we're gonna talk particularly today about men engaging in their purpose in the church in such a way that they come alive and begin to engage. Now let me ask you a question. As you look at the Christian church in America, whether you've done the research or not, would you guess that there are more women in the Christian church or more men? Just go ahead and shout it out. More women. Why is that? Just throw, throw some ideas out. Why do you think there are more women engaged in the Christian faith in America? And that's statistically true, by the way. Why would you think that's true? Because the church is based on relationships. How do men do relationships? Like Batman in the Lego Batman movie? I don't do ships. For us, it takes a real, it takes a real challenge for a man to engage in relationship, not only with other people in the church, but with other men. And the idea literally becomes, how do we as a church engage men differently than we engage women? Because women are not men, are they? But yet we try to reach out to men in the same way we try to reach out to women. So if conversation and invites to small group and inviting in a conversation works for your women friends, but it doesn't work for your men friends, I'm about to tell you why. Because men like to do stuff they don't like to talk how do i know this <laughs> come lord jesus so when you know when you know men in your life here is how you have that one hour conversation with them try some of these ideas let me step out of the way when you are engaging in men in conversation Keep it casual and low-key. If you get spiritually serious in the beginning of that conversation, what's that guy going to do? He's going to tune right out. Keep it casual, low-key. 
have a distraction around that, con- uh, that conversation. What could the distraction be? It could be football, dude. Seriously, amen and amen. Get a game on in front of you. Get a game on in front of you. Why? Because when things turn emotionally challenging for a guy, what can he do? He can go, look at that idiot. on the. Why did he miss that pass? He should have caught that ball, right? It gives him a chance to say, what kind of ref would make that call? You know, that's crazy, right when you're getting into something spiritually deep. But it gives a guy a chance to disengage from the discomfort of that for just a moment and yet have fun and then stay casually engaged. And the idea becomes this. You give space and perhaps even multiple conversations or opportunities to engage. But in the end, you have a goal in mind. And the goal is to introduce that guy to Jesus. And the introduction you will do is authentic, it's real, it's personal, but it's not, you know, it's not in a way that you would engage um, someone who has an emotional setup to receive conversation like that, you know, whether it's a woman or another man, okay? What you want to do is provide a canvas to paint a spiritual conversation on with distractions, with, you know, with the opportunity to disengage and get back together in such a way that will engage him as a guy. You know, one of the interesting things I found as I was kind of researching this and checking my own self is the side-by-side conversation. If you're a guy, don't invite a guy to sit across one of those little two-person tables at a coffee shop with you. That's just awkward. Invite a guy to sit on the bar stool beside you with a football game in front of you so that whether you're drinking water, coffee, lemonade, Kool-Aid, iced tea, or beer, whatever your thing is, you can sit side by side and look at something else at the same time. Try this with your man or your man friends or your guy friends, whoever you are, See if God doesn't give you the opportunity to serve together. As you do that, ask this question somewhere along the way when it's fitting and proper. And I want you to actually read this with me. Ready? One, two, three. I serve at my church once or twice a month. Want to join me one Sunday? No strings attached. Can we do it one more time with guts? Ready? I serve at my church once or twice a month. Want to join me one Sunday? No strings attached. These are the words you can share. These are the words you can speak. And the way you're doing this setting up for serving together is you're letting somebody kind of ride along with you as you serve and engage in the church in service. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and close. I think the kids are ready to join us again. What do you guys think? All right. So we're going to go ahead and pray and close. But what I'd invite you to do is this. As you pray, think about an area of service in the church you've not tried yet or not entertained. Think about a friend in your life who might enjoy doing that with you. And then consider the idea of maybe volunteering yourself and or that person together. Set up and tear down team or something like that might be a great place to start. Brian, would you agree? Brian's one of our set up tear down guys and we've got several of them in the room. 
So let's do this. Let's close in prayer. Let's invite our kids back in. Let's open our minds to who God would have us reach out to through serving. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to serve. And not only the opportunity, but the call to serve, to step into the challenge of serving. Give us the opportunity, God, to see what it is we enjoy and how we might engage that act of service in your name. You've given us so much opportunity with a brand new site here. And you've placed a number in front of us, 120 in the next year. This is one way we will grow. Show us those people, especially those men in our lives, who are looking for a way to serve. And show us how we might engage them as Jesus might. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.